Morning, everyone. Uh, great to see so many uh, with us uh, today. So if you've been tracking with us, you'll know that we are going through a preaching series through Acts, really trying to get hold of kind of the early church and how they lived and, and what it meant in their context. And then what does that mean for us, uh, you know, today in you know, 2021 in, in the UK, really? So we are in Acts chapter five. And really, one of the themes that kind of emerges over kind of now and over the coming chapters is one of increasing persecution and hostility towards the Christian faith and towards the early church. And it really starts to ramp up. It's, it starts to ramp up here in Acts 5. And as we're going to see in the coming weeks through kind of Acts 6, 7 and 8, that persecution and hostility just continues to increase. If you remember, Peter and John have already been arrested once and told to stop speaking about Jesus, which, of course, they ignore. And they carry on preaching the word. They carry on seeing signs and wonders done, which lands them in trouble again. Um, and in the passage that we're in today, uh, they get arrested and released on two separate occasions. Uh, the, the passage is kind of bookended today by them being arrested once, released, and then arrested again and released. And the first time they get arrested uh, um, in the evening, um, an angel of the Lord miraculously and supernaturally sets them free from prison. And so when the guards come in the morning uh, to come and find them, they are actually already at the temple uh, at daybreak preaching the word of God. And so they then get brought back in to before the religious rulers for uh, getting arrested again, albeit not by force um, this time. And they get arrested again and brought before the religious rulers. Um, and that's where we're going to pick up the story today in verse 27. But one of the things that I'm so aware of uh, in when we look at the early churches, we can sort of put them on a bit of a pedestal and we can sort of think of these guys as sort of super apostles um, and kind of we, we can almost be in awe of them. In one level, it's a good thing to be in awe of them. But let's remember that although these are men and women who uh, had been with Jesus for three years and they did live in a unique part of the biblical storyline, these were ordinary people who had been changed by an extraordinary God. They had been transformed by God from being scared disciples into empowered missionaries. So let's, let's, and actually what they, is true of them is meant to be true of us so we're going to pick up acts 5 verse 27 to 42 i'm going to read all of it um i just think it's such a powerful uh, story that we're going to pick up so verse 27 and when they this is the apostles um um sorry when the religious rulers had brought them the apostles they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying we strictly charged you not to teach in this name Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man, this man Jesus, his blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered them this, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. So is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Galileo, a teacher of the law, held in honour by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, take care with what you're about to do to these men. For before these days, Judas, or 
Thaddeus, I don't actually know how you say that, um, rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were too scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this is the plan or if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But it, if, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow God. Just as a point of interest, when these other uprisings have happened, people were killed and they dispersed and it came to nothing. When the believers are scattered, the gospel advances, as you're going to see, as we're going to see through Acts 6, 7 and 8. That there's a kind of opposite because this is a plan of God. And when it's a plan of God, as scattering happens, the gospel goes forth. Um, if it is of God, you will be not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Let's not gloss over what is happening here. They are beaten, the same word that is used to describe the kind of beating that Jesus had. They are charged not to go around teaching about Jesus, and they leave, having been released, rejoicing that they get the honour of suffering for Jesus, and they continue to teach and preach the word of God boldly day after day. What has happened to these apostles? How is it that they are so bold in the face of persecution? How is it that they have gone from being scared into empowered missionaries? And I think there's several things going on. First is they have got hold, I believe, of Jesus's teaching and his preparation that he had done for them. Remember, these had spent, they had spent three years with Jesus and he had been teaching them and preparing them for when he was not around and what it was going to look like for them to follow him. And he taught them and he prepared them that following him was not an invitation to an easy life. He taught them that following him meant counting the cost and laying down everything for the sake of knowing him. And actually in the laying down of their lives, they would find true life and true joy. Jesus had prepared them that following him was an invitation to certain persecution, hostility, and loss of reputation. And let's just look at a couple of passages of Jesus's teaching, first from Matthew 16, then Luke 14. Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Or Luke 14, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. 
This is hardly a uh, great promo strategy for following Jesus, is it? It's come and renounce everything. Come and lay down everything for the sake of knowing him. If you're looking for a life of comfort, if you're looking for an easy life, if you're looking for a self-improvement guru, Jesus is not your guy. The invitation of Jesus Christ is one of radical obedience, surrender, and of renouncing everything of this world for the surpassing greatness and splendor of knowing Jesus Christ. Anyone is invited to come to Jesus, no matter where you've come from, no matter what your background, no matter how many times you've messed up, no matter how disqualified you think you are, his invitation to you over and over and over again is one of grace and mercy. But there is no doubt that grace is not cheap. It is a costly call to follow Jesus Christ. It means a life of surrender. Following Jesus, he's the pearl, he is the pearl of great price. He's the treasure that is hidden in a field. He's the one who calls us to leave our nets and leave everything behind to follow him. And I think the apostles had grasped hold of this teaching of Jesus which means to follow him is a life of surrender and obedience. This is Christian discipleship. This is what it means to follow Jesus, to take his teaching and to adopt it in your own life. And the teaching and the modelling of Jesus is one of laying down everything to follow and pursue him. And I think they've got hold of that. And that's why when, when they're questioned before the religious rulers, Peter answers them with these amazing seven words. We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. I think they had grasped hold of the truth that following Jesus was not an invitation to an easy life, but an invitation to a life of radical obedience and surrender and of counting everything as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of pursuing and treasuring and knowing Jesus Christ and of his kingdom. We must obey God rather than men. And the word that Peter is using here is that when he says we must obey isn't so much moral obedience. He's not talking here about moral commandments particularly. The word obey here really is a Greek word which is kind of means we must listen to. We must take the advice of, we're persuaded and confident by. So Peter is saying, we must listen to what Jesus tells us, not what you tell us. We must take the advice of Christ and not what you have told us. We are persuaded and confident of what he has shown us and of what he has taught us more than your threats and more than what you are saying to us. That's this obedience, it's this conviction of Jesus and his kingdom that causes them in the face of hostility and persecution to radically surrender and obey the command of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. What is it that has happened to these men? Where does this radical obedience come from? Where does this boldness to risk life and reputation and to take beating for the name of Jesus come from? Because let's remember, these are the same men who just weeks earlier had deserted Jesus when he went to the cross. 
These are the same men, this Peter, who had denied Jesus, who the, the same disciples who had scattered when Jesus was arrested and were nowhere to be found because they were scared. How is it that they have gone from being scared people into empowered missionaries? Verse 32 gives us the answer. They've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 32, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit to those so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. He has given us his spirit, past tense, it's happened, to those who obey him, present tense. Obedience is evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. It's the fruit and the effect of a people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. The apostles learned what it looked like to count the cost of following Jesus. The apostles knew what it meant to obey God and not man because they had been empowered by the Holy Spirit. The advance of the gospel, signs and wonders, standing up in the face of hostility and persecution is not some internal courage that they've mustered up somewhere, kind of, you know, British stiff upper lip, you know, we can do this, it's okay guys, we'll take a beating for the gospel. The only reason this is possible is because they've been empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit, by his power and by his presence that has transformed them from being scared into empowered people and this if you haven't picked up already is the drumbeat of acts thus far in acts chapter one jesus says you will be my witnesses when you receive power in acts chapter two when the day of pentecost comes and the holy spirit is poured out over them it's the it's the power of the holy spirit that enables peter to preach the word with boldness in acts chapter four when they get arrested and released what is it they pray for they pray again for the power of the holy spirit they pray for boldness and they pray that god would continue to do signs and wonders in fact i believe that whole of acts chapter five is the answer to their prayer from acts chapter four in acts four they pray this and look lord upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of, of your holy servant jesus we saw last week signs and wonders done in the kingdom and we see this week the effect of them being filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit is boldness to proclaim the word of Jesus in the face of staggering persecution and hostility. We must obey God rather than man. And the effect of this boldness, the effect of them being empowered by the Holy Spirit is quite staggering. The charge against them is this. You have filled Jerusalem with the teaching of Jesus. You have filled Jerusalem. Jerusalem is full of the gospel because of the boldness of the early church, because they chose to obey God and not man. And the reason they obeyed God and not man was because they had been empowered by the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. And this continues right through Acts. You're gonna, we're going to see this in Acts chapter 6. The gospel continues to advance and grow in spite of persecution. Persecution cannot destroy the church. That is true throughout all of church history. Just look at China today. The gospel advances powerfully when men and women count the cost of following Jesus, who say we must obey God and not man because we have been empowered by God himself the Holy Spirit. 
That's what's happening in this passage. In the face of persecution and hostility, they can obey God and not man because they have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the reality is, unlike 340 plus million Christians worldwide who face direct hostility and persecution for their faith, that is not yet our context in the Western world. But for us, amidst our relative comfort, amidst our relative security right now, in the face of a culture which call, which calls us to consume, 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 to settle, we must remember that the call of Jesus to every generation, to every culture, to every context, in every era, is to renounce everything and follow him, to count the cost and to lay ourselves down before him. And in the laying down of our lives, we find true life. That in every generation, whether we face hostility and persecution or whether we live in a society of relative comfort, the call is this, count the cost and obey God and not man. I remember a couple of years ago, we were at the Fusion 2018 conference um, and Paul Simpson, um, part of the wider family of churches in regions beyond, he preached on the danger of comfort. And he said, comfort is one of the great dangers of Western Christianity, that in the midst of comfort, we kind of settle for a second rate kind of following of Jesus. The danger and the challenge of comfort and consumerism is that it's easy to settle for Jesus as an add-on to our lives, for a bit of Jesus sprinkled into our lives. And our Christianity becomes comfortable and consumer-led. And the call of the gospel is come and die to yourself and lay down everything for the surpassing greatness and joy of knowing Jesus Christ. However, despite the fact we live in a culture of comfort and security, we must also understand that the message of the gospel is an offence to the culture around us on one level. And we are living in a society of increasing hostility towards the gospel in the Western world. We are like Daniel, and uh, Colin reminded me of this this week, it was so helpful. We're like Daniel living in Babylon, where we are being asked to bow down to the gods of our age and our culture, of individuality, of freedom of expression, of comfort, of, of sex and sexuality, of being whoever you want to be. We must understand that these are gods of the age. And in a post-truth age, the unchanging message of Jesus will cause a reaction in our culture. And we need to ask God to be empowered missionaries, to stand up for truth and justice, to proclaim boldly the message of Jesus, just like the early church did. We don't know what the future holds in our culture. For sure, I believe it's going to hold one of more hostility against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we just need to be prepared and aware of that, that we are living in Babylon and we need to be like Daniel. God, we're going we're gonna to lay down ourselves before you and not the things of this world. As I said earlier, it's so easy to be in awe of the apostles, but the same call is upon us today to lay everything down for knowing him. And the same power is available to us today. We serve an extraordinary God who turns scared people into empowered missionaries through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in a culture 
that pushes us towards comfort and security. And in a culture where there is growing hostility to the gospel, we need to contend to be a people who count the cost and lay everything down and surrender all in obedience to him. But praise God, that does not come from our own efforts, but by being empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit. This is not some internal courage that we have to muster up. This is saying, God, would you fill me and empower me with boldness and courage to stand up, to count the cost, to lay down my life before you, knowing that in you is true life and joy and meaning and purpose. Amen. I just really want to finish today by um, praying for us that we would be a people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we might know his presence with us. I just wonder if uh, where you are, um, if you're just able just to maybe just close your eyes. I just believe that God wants to just do a fresh work in our hearts again this morning. We, In the 9 a.m. prayer meeting, there was such a... Um, thing around the heart and about God changing our hearts and he does that by his Holy Spirit and so I just want to say right now Holy Spirit would you come into each one of our homes right now Lord God and I pray Lord that you would come and empower us and embolden us and equip us by your power and by your presence Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that where our, our Christianity has become too comfortable, would you cause us to once again count the cost of following you? Holy Spirit, I pray that where we might be scared of proclaiming your word, would you come and turn us from being scared people into empowered missionaries, Lord? Lord, where we face loss of reputation or hostility to the gospel, Holy Spirit, come and empower us and embolden us. We so need you. Lord, we thank you that the refrain over and over in the early church, the drumbeat is not one of try harder, do better, but one of come Holy Spirit, empower and embolden us. We need you in these days. Lord, we are believing for a great move of God in, in this town and in this nation. But Lord God, we want to thank you, Lord, that you use us as empowered servants, as empowered missionaries. And we pray that you would come right now and fill each one of us, fill our hearts, fill our minds, empower us, Holy Spirit, to count the cost, to surrender in radical obedience, to boldly proclaim you as Lord and Christ, and to watch, Lord, you do the rest. And, and see the gospel advance in our town and in our nation and in the nations of the world. We ask these things, Lord, for your glory, Lord, and also for our delight and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.